Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, to stay true to what you said I, you, you don't believe, <laughs> that uh, I can't serve you a full meal today, but I can serve you an appetizer. Okay, <laughs> okay nobody wants a full meal, okay. Me and Maurice, praise God. No, hallelujah, we're going to honor your time today. We have been talking about, I have no doubt in my heart, at the Lord's direction for the last couple of Sunday mornings about the mind. And um, if you did not know it, I'm sure you didn't do, there is a war that rages every day, and the prize for the winner is your mind. Man does not live, when I say man, I mean mankind, human beings, they do not live unto themselves. You are not living unto yourself. Man is a neutral spirit that will yield and be influenced by either God and good and righteousness, or he will be yielded to and under the influence and therefore the dominion of Satan and evil and darkness and bad. And uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest need in the body of Christ, across the body of Christ, is the attaining of a renewed mind. As you sit here today, heaven bound, do you realize that your soul needs to be saved? Well, I don't know, because you just called me saved. I thought I was saved. Well, in general vernacular in, in Christendom, we call, you know, Kamal just, he just referenced it. And he's not wrong, you know what I mean? Just as a generally speaking, talking about every soul I bring into the kingdom. Well, he's not bringing souls into the kingdom. He's bringing spirits. Now, speaking generally, it's fine to do that. I do it, he does it, pre- preachers and Christians everywhere. Right? Uh, amen. Even, even the Old Testament, the book of Psalms says a wise man wins souls. Right? And, uh, but as a Christian, we need to understand that it is our spirit man that was touched by the new birth. Amen? We are a spirit like God is a spirit. Amen. And we have and we possess a soul. So we're not going there for time's sake, but in James chapter 1, verse 21, you can write that down, look at it. You're familiar with that verse of Scripture. Uh, James is writing under the unction of the Spirit to born-again Christians, to people who are already saved, already going to heaven. And he says to them, uh, to believers, receive ye with humility and meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Well, as a new believer, a, new, a baby Christian, I read that and I get a little perturbed. I get a little confused because I thought I was saved. And yet he's instructing me to do something that will save my soul. We need to get our terminology theologically and biblically correct. When someone is born again, it is their spirit that is recreated. The Holy Spirit doesn't move into your soul. He moves into your spirit. Amen. Once that happens, you are a child of God. You are born again. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You are heaven bound. But we all, all of us, so it's not wrong, but all of us bring into the kingdom a soul that is corrupt. 
a soul, your soul was not touched by your salvation experience. When you confess Jesus as your Lord, you left the church service or that moment of prayer or whatever with the same mind, the same soul, the same way of thinking, that was untouched by the new birth. So we all bring in an unsaved soul or an unrenewed mind into our new Christian life. And so once the greatest need of every human being is satisfied, the need to be born again, once that's done, your next greatest need and requirement is to get your soul saved. What is James talking about? Uh, what is a saved soul? It is a, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So a saved soul is going to be a mind that is sound. That's the name of our series, A Sound Mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind is a mind that thinks in harmony with the Bible. That thinks like God. Remember, how many of you are disciples? You're disciples of Christ. Not everyone. Okay. Amen. Well, people are honest, I guess. But if you're a real disciple, what's the goal? To be like Him. To be like Him. Well, what's the biggest part of that? We are, we are in Him. We are in union with Him in our spirit. In the new birth. That's done. There's no work to be done there. The major prim primary goal in becoming a disciple with the goal being look like Him, get like Him, is I've got to learn to think like Him. Right? Isn't that right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, around um, maybe it's chapter 3, it's in 1 Corinthians somewhere early on, chapter 2, chapter 3, around verse 16, it says, for we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Think about what's available to us. We have the mind of Christ. What's that mean? In any given moment, at any given situation, you have a blood-bought right. I do too, to know what he thinks about that. So if sickness attacks my body, I have the mind of Christ. I have available to me his mind about that. Generally, but also very specifically. What specifically would he instruct me to do to get that off of me? I have his mind, but I have to access it. Now, generally speaking, concerning sickness and disease, I know how the master thinks about that because I've spent a lot of time in his word. The Bible's not just a religious book. It's not just a Bible. Uh, it's just not a collection of dogma and uh, theologies and doctrines, it is a collection of God's thoughts. Hello. It is a written expression of what He thinks. The culture desperately needs to know and be reawakened to what is right and what is wrong. What is right and what is wrong. What does God think about what's right? What does God think about sexuality? What does God think about gender? What is God, what is His mind toward family, toward marriage, toward money? Listen, you don't have to have a special 
angelic appearance to get that figured out. He's given us his mind written down in his word. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And it is our job, it is my job for every Christian, it is their divine privilege and responsibility, obligation, and assignment. If you want to live, if you don't, I am so concerned about people's mental, people are mental, people are, they don't, and I'm not being critical or judgmental, but uh, with all of our innovation, with all of our blessings from God in America, we are the most prescribed, the most drugged, the most medicated, dysfunctional, 40 million Americans are, are cl under clinical treatment for depression. Amen. Again, I'm not judging. Uh, they're taking psychotic drugs to try to temper the par parts of their personality. And listen, guys, listen. You have to be careful about what you put in your mouth. Young people, you know, they're, they, the, there's, there's evil people out there that are lacing stuff that you think will help you have a good time at a party. It's called fentanyl. And they say 10 little, 10 little, uh, what, pieces of salt from your salt shaker, tw tw 10 grains of salt. That's enough fentanyl to kill you. Don't be putting stuff in your mouth. We, we, we have higher help. We have better help. And people today, because they don't know, they don't know how to get a sound mind. They don't know how to have a solid mind, a healthy mind, healthy emotions, healthy thoughts. They're turning to alcohol. They're turning to pornography. They're turning to drugs. They're turning, they're looking for the answer in all the wrong places. And right there in your Bible, amen, is life and truth and freedom and peace for your mind. Amen. Amen. Every day when you get up, Satan is going to make a high, strong bid for your mind. And you and I have to get up every day ready to defend our mind. And you just so many different areas and ways that you can go. It's just so important that you really judge what you're thinking, amen, what you're believing, what you're valuing by what God actually said. Yeah. And you need to be willing to submit every thought, every value, every belief that you have had and submit that to the Word. You should have chapter and verse. If you believe that God is accepting of homosexual lifestyles, give me chapter and verse for that. And if you want to give me a verse on love, that does not, that is not, love is a separate issue. Of course, we should love everyone. Everyone. But as uh, Sister Gretchen made a powerful comment in Connect class this morning, she said so many people have a wrong definition they're operating on when it comes to love. And I added, and that wrong definition on love has seeped into many churches. Because... Uh, a very popular definition on love today in the world and, and in the church, sadly, is love. If you really love, you accept. Yeah. Yeah. If you love, you accept. 
That is not real love. God is love. And yet people still go to hell. Is that right? God is love. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8 in the Amplified, there's a phrase as Paul, by the Spirit, defines the God kind of love. He said, love rejoices when righteousness and truth prevail. And we can tell the truth to people who are mired in all kinds of different sins. Love would tell them the truth in a loving way. Right? But people today, they don't want just a nice tone. They're going to call you judgmental and hard and unloving if you don't accept their truth. But if I love them, I'm going to let them know that God is not approving and accepting. And if you die in this belief, I'm concerned about your future. Love tells the truth. Love tells the truth. Understanding every human life has value. And everybody has a backstory, sure. But people are allowing their backstory to be their excuse for present sin. Right? May be true that you were abused, but that abuse should not be an ongoing excuse for you choosing sin today. Jesus said, You'll know the truth. He didn't say, You'll know acceptance. He said, You'll know the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Acceptance is not what's going to set you free. And you have to be very careful, child of God, who you allow to get your ear. I I have a very short list of ministers and ministries that I I will entrust my heart with, my mind with, my spirit with. Because there's a lot of right intention and a lot of goofy, unscriptural thinking. Because nobody wants to face the woke mob. Churches are trying to be relevant. When I'm trying to be obedient. Praise God. We must understand the enemy is deceptive. And he is subtle. And he has methods. And he is methodical about the application of his attempt to get your mind to himself. And he is persistent. One of his favorite things is to suggest something to you. And then he will repeat that over and over and over again. And if you open yourself to it all, it encourages him. Ah, it's working. Feed it to him again. Feed it to him some more. Mm. And his mode of attack for your life is your mind. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, again, this is appetizer sermon. 
almost done here. We'll have to stop. But look at verse uh, number 10. Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able. Just because you're a Christian and you're a sweet person doesn't mean you're going to be able to stand up against the wiles, the strategies, the methods of the devil. You have to put your armor on. Live with it on. You're a last day Christian. You might sleep with it on. Don't take it off. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our, our battle is not with people. But we are wrestling against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, unto you take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, oppose, stand up against the, in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. And we need to be in a standing mode. I'm not backing up. I'm not shutting up. I'm going to stand here. I've drawn my line in the sand. And I'm not going to move. Notice the very first thing he talks about specifically. Stand therefore having your waist girt about with... He didn't say love. I say he didn't say love. Love is vitally important. Love is the greatest commandment. But love is not a weapon. Love is not part of the armor. The very first piece he speaks of is truth. You need to know what's true. What is true? This is true. John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. There is nothing true that is against the word. And people can be so sincere. Listen, for years and for De uh, centuries, very smart people told other people that the earth was flat. I'm talking about intelligent people with all sincerity in their being told other people that the earth was flat. Guess what? Not true. Not true. Are you with me? So he goes on and talks about all these armor. Notice in verse 16, says, Above all, take ye the shield of faith, wherewith you will be able to quench, you quench, you quench, you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now let's close in 2 Corinthians, back to the left a few books. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll introduce the thought. You'll have to come back for the main course next week. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, sure, the there are fiery darts against your finances. There are fiery darts against your health. There are fiery darts, but the, 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 the biggest, most frequent, ongoing fiery dart that you and I will have to quench every day is wrong thoughts. Wrong thoughts. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul in a different place is really talking along the same line about war and weapons. And so in verse 3 it says, For though we walk or live in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Amen? 
We are human beings. We do live a fleshly life. I mean, I have a body of flesh. But we don't war after the flesh. Amen? Amen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That just means they're not natural. But they are mighty. Now, as he goes further, it's not going to sound real exciting to you. But what did he say? Our weapons are not natural. But they are what? They are mighty. They are mighty. Mighty to what end? To the pulling down of strongholds. Now, people in times past have gotten goofy with this and thought that he was talking about demonic strongholds. I mean, like principalities in the air, and that we could, we could uh, if we got up high enough in airplanes and, and put on fatigues, looked like soldiers, and spoke in warring tongues, you know, and got really warring with it, that we could pull down demon spirits out of the heavenlies, pulling down strongholds. That's not what this is talking about. What are the strongholds? Let's just keep reading. We'll let the Bible answer itself. Amen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through, the, through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, thoughts, arguments. King James says imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So first you can see here by implication to be able to be a good soldier and use your weapons, you've got to be able to recognize an argument, recognize an imagination, a reasoning, a thought that is contrary to God. That's going to require that you know your Bible. Satan is counting on your ignorance to dominate you even as a Christian. He will rule you down here. He'll influence you. He will steer you. He will deceive you. He will seduce you. He will draw you away from truth and light. And he's very subtle. Very crafty. Sneaky devil. You slip in a thought. When you get low, you get a little bit down, and things aren't going your way, and you haven't been praying, you haven't been worshiping, been neglecting church, you're not in the Word, Satan sees an opening. He sees an opportunity. Slip, slip some wrong thinking in there. And begin to suggest some things to you. Right? Like all that word of faith stuff, all that, all that divine protection stuff. And here we, here we go. Look at, look at the pastor's daughter in heaven at 31. And get you when you're down, getting you when you're grieving. As if any one particular circumstance says anything about the word. Doesn't say anything about the word. I heard Dr. Hadaball say, this morning from his own pulpit about his own daughter that it was not his God's will for Stephanie to be in heaven at 31. Which is right, which is honest, which is true. It's not disparaging. People miss it. Whatever. But the word is the word. The, I, I, I told my family, guard your mind. 
Guard your mind. Word didn't fail. God didn't fail. The covenant didn't fail. The blood didn't fail. Angels didn't fail. There's a lot we don't know. We just keep our mind off what we don't know, and we're going to stay with what we do know. Because Psalm 91 still says, Though a thousand fall at your left side and ten thousand at your right hand, it will not come near me. That's still a scripture. Still a scripture. And it'll stand up. It'll stand up. All of us, me, you, we are all one misleading, one overriding something the Spirit of God's trying to tell us from going home early. All of us. That doesn't have anything to do with the Word. We have to guard our mind. People say, well, I see, I pastor, and they, they teach all that stuff about healing, but I prayed for 25 people, and they all died. That doesn't say anything about the Word. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Maybe there's something on their side. Brother Hagin said, they asked Brother Hagin, what would you do as you're going through the healing line? Some, you lay hands on them, and they fall right down dead. He goes, it's already happened to me. I just keep on going. He said, it's already happened. We just call the corner and I just keep on going. Because that doesn't change the word. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm moved only by what I believe. And what I believe is based on the book. It's based on the book. People get off. Satan helps them. They get off. Building doctrines on experiences. We build our doctrine on the Word. Hello? I believe the Word of God. Even when my own personal experience doesn't rise to match it yet. I've been, preaching, I've been preaching prosperity since I found out about it. Mm-hmm. I've been preaching prosperity when I barely had enough money to put gas in my car, when I had bald tires, Amen. when I had more than one credit card over $10,000 in debt. That doesn't change, that doesn't change the Bible. Amen. Me being broke doesn't change the Bible. Amen. I just kept preaching the truth. God would teach me. You would have helped me. Amen. 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 And I keep making changes. And over time, I'm not there yet, but over time, my life is looking more and more and more like the book. But you can't attack the book and try to change the book to fit your life. Let God be true. That means let the Word be true. And every other man's a liar. Hallelujah. Thank you. The Amplified, and I'm I'm finishing here, uh, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare, they are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and the destruction of strongholds. When you read verse 5, you realize that the strongholds that this weapon is to be 
arrayed against are stronghold fortresses of wrong thinking. And all of us, no doubt, have some strongholds. This is not just a, an occasional wrong thought. This is an entrenched, fortified way of thinking that no doubt the enemy has been working to build since childhood. And it has affected some people the way they think. It has affected every... It's, let me say it this way. Infected all their relationships. You know, you take the example of a, a, of a, of a little girl growing up in a home with an absentee, abusive daddy who never hugged her, never built her up verbally, but, but neglected her and, or put her down or dominated her. And, then for, and she sees that and she sees mama never stand up to that, never overcome that, never throw that off but live in, sees her mom live in a home beaten down and beat up and bent over under the aggression and abuse of a, a husband. And then that husband will quote Ephesians chapter 5 and say, Woman, you're supposed to submit to me. And here's this girl that grows up. And she gets married and she is fit to be, she, will, she dominates her husband. Her husband is a whipped puppy. And all men are not to be trusted, but she wanted kids. So she allowed, she found a real, uh, you know, lazy dog kind of a husband that she could dominate. And then she reads Ephesians 5 about wives submit to your husbands. And she, y'all got quiet. She, <laughs> she has, she shakes. She has a hard time receiving that scripture. And the husband she married had a domineering woman as a mother that was so impossible to please that as a kid he finally just figured out, i got to give up. Nothing I do is right. Nothing I can say is right. Can't ever be good enough to please her. So he's found a woman that is happy to dominate him. And he reads Ephesians 5 and sees that he's supposed to be the head and the leader of his home. And he won't do it. He won't step up. He's not strong enough. He won't stand up to her. He won't say, you're not spending that. You're not doing that. We're not going there. That's not the leading of the Lord. He won't do it. And do you see how he gets exposed to the Scripture? He can be saved, born again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking. But he's got, a, he's got a stronghold in his mind. And it doesn't match the word. But those strongholds in him and her have been shaped and built for decades over wrong experiences from wrong people fed and fostered and watered by the devil. And whatever our deals are, we have to do the hard work of taking the Word of God and start chipping away and pulling away at those strongholds.
She needs to let God heal her hurt. She needs to believe and accept that not all men are like her daddy. She needs to realize that she can be a sweet and submissive partner and wife and best friend and companion to her husband and not be abused. And that it would be in her best interest to encourage him to step up. And he needs to realize that, bless God, she doesn't have to be happy with me all the time, but I can step up and be the leader. (laughs) Whether she likes it or not. Well, that's not popular, is it? But take his place. And realize that she might actually come and and fulfill her role and and the things be sweet. And instead of this passive aggression and this undercurrent of resentment that's infecting their sweet marriage because of childhood issues. But see, if things... See, Christians, saved people have these same problems. And it's because we bring an unsaved soul into our Christian life. And we need to renew our mind. I'm done. We need to renew our mind. We need to renew our mind about what a marriage is supposed to look like. What a Christian home is supposed to look like. Amen. And what morality looks like. Amen. And what church life is supposed to look like. Not what you grew up with. And what about, our, what about our bodies? Mm-hmm. What about our finances? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You say, man, I, this is going to take me a lot of work. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm 20, 25 years into my walk with God. Still working on me. But life gets sweeter. With every tweak, with every brick pulled out of that stronghold, there's more freedom. There's more light. There's more blessing. And the pastor that God has assigned to your life is meant to be a help. Meant to be a help in helping you get your mind renewed. Melissa, would you, don't run up here because you're nine months pregnant, but quick, quick, come up here if you can, and I want to pray over you before I leave for Texas. Y'all all right? Told her, I'm sorry, I may miss the big event. <laughs> Praise God. This be okay? Praise God. Amber, you want to come? Pastor Amber? Church family, extend your hand of faith towards them and, and Eric. Glory to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, uh, we thank you. There is a, a birth coming. And uh, in the name of Jesus, we lay our hands and this church family extends our faith towards this precious couple. And we just so thank you, Father. That God, uh, as Reverend Kamal was mentioning, Malachi, there's a promise. Blessed is the fruit of our womb. So I I say blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Lord, we ask you and we we receive by faith a healthy, supernatural, normal pregnancy. She'll have this baby the way God intended a mama to have a baby. And and we just speak life to you, Eric. And and at the right time, we thank you that you're just going to be born healthy. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. Thank you for ordering all their steps. 
that you go before them and you're, they're going to be the right doctor on staff and, and the right nursing. And they're going to get the right room. They're going to get the best of everything. We, we thank you for the angels that are assigned to them that will guard them and defend them and protect them and watch over them. We plead that blood, that wonderful blood that avails. And we celebrate in advance the addition to their family and to our family. May every need be met. Let every need be met. Let this be the joyful, wonderful, thrilling time that you intended this uh, family dynamic and type of moment to be. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Hallelujah. Well, you can stand up on your feet today. Hallelujah. If you're a visitor guest today,